Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Trick Podcast. Enjoy a good evening, I should say, 6 p.m. here Pacific. How are you? Leave me a comment below. Share this broadcast with your friends. Tag a friend. If you're watching me on Twitch, welcome to Twitch. I love Twitch. If you're watching me on YouTube, my favorite platform, make sure that you like, comment, subscribe, hit that bell so that you can be notified every time that I upload a video. If you're watching me on Periscope, another one of my favorite platforms, thank you. Make sure that you share this broadcast with your followers. If you perhaps are on my personal page, davidtrig.com, thank you for being here. Make sure that you listen to my podcast. You can just click podcast there on my website. If you are on my personal page on Facebook or on my public page at David Trigueros, thank you for being here. Leave me a comment below. Talking today about chronic pain. And you may not have chronic pain, but maybe you know someone who does. What is chronic pain? Well, it's chronic means that it's ongoing, as in a chronometer. So it means that as time progresses, the pain is still there. So we're talking about chronic back pain, leg pain, headaches. Now, in my studies of pain, I don't have chronic pain per se, but what I do uh, face, and I know many people that also face, is chronic anger, uh, anxiety, fear, or chronic feelings of shame, failure. And so I'm reading this book that I want to share with you guys called Back in Control by David Hanscom, an MD who is uh, a spine specialist at Swedish Neuroscience Institute. And he has a test your revolutionary approach. So I've pretty much finished this book. And I want to give you kind of a uh, kind of a summary. Yes, chronic pain, exactly. Severe car crash. Yes. Okay. Hello, Jill. By the way, always a pleasure to have you. So this book, as I said, is uh, very revolutionary because uh, he starts basically with his own story. This uh, Doctor David Hanscom of how he almost lost his legs in a car accident. And when he went to see the doctor, they wanted to do surgery, his back, not necessarily amputation, but definitely surgery. And and he then starts with that story because he, he says, and this is obviously true, that every person who's in pain, they want the pain to go away. And so most of the people that now come to him, they want surgery and they may not be excited about it but that's kind of where their minds go and as he says the medical field tends to prescribe surgery maybe as uh, as the, I don't know the fastest way to remedy the problem but he talks about the mental aspects of chronic pain as in depression anxiety uh, family of origin stuff he's not a therapist but he talks a lot about neuroscience, which is always what interests me. I've been studying neuroscience and the power of the mind for about 20 years as it relates to theology and faith and as it relates to pain. And as I said at the beginning of this broadcast, even if you don't have chronic pain, we have chronic fear, chronic anxiety, chronic anger, chronic feelings of shame. So I want to show you a graphic that really helped me. There's so much in this book, and what I want to do is actually read parts of it to you. But before I read that, let me take you to this graphic here that might be new to some, might be familiar to others. This graphic really helped me to understand what pain does and how it manifests itself. So on the left, and I hope you can see that it's a little 
You know, it's a picture from a book from this book right here. By the way, if you want to get this book, I'm not sponsoring anything or any of that kind of stuff. This is not an advertising. These are just books that have really helped me understand not only my own uh, mind games per se. I don't have chronic pain, but as I said, it's more of a mind thing as well as helping obviously a lot of people that I love and care for. And so it's called Back in Control by David Hanscom, MD. So on the left, you have sensory input. In the middle, you have this junction box, which is the nervous system. And at the bottom, as you can see, he says, it's called chemical response to sensory input. Now, sensory means the senses, the five senses, touch, smell. And then you have on the top, output, and then chemical response. And then he has there in the middle, pleasant or unpleasant. And then he has the chemicals that are released by the body. When it's a pleasant experience, then you have oxytocin, dopamine, and GABA that are released. These are natural, just chemicals that the brain responds. Obviously, none of us are like walking around with these things spraying out of our heads. But this is what makes you feel happy, peaceful, restful. And equally, when you have unpleasant thoughts or senses hitting your nervous system then we release adrenaline right we all know that word by now cortisone maybe you're not familiar with that word but that's also very very true and more people are realizing these things endorphins okay so now let me explain this so on the left here you have thoughts and notice how the the arrow for thoughts is darkened and that's because that is and this is very biblical right the bible says to to, to, to uh, protect our minds, to whatever is lovely, think upon these things. So obviously we know from the Bible that our thoughts are very important. But now getting into the neuroscience again, and the, uh, the uh, mind study of, of pain, normally it's a sense that hits our nervous system. So in other words, you see something. Now choose the one for you that you're the most attacked by. That, that hits you the most, that damages you the most, that hurts you the most in a negative way. We want to start with pain, of course, because that's the thing that we most want to avoid, right? So is it something that you see, vision? So some people may see the things in the news or read something with their eyes, vision, and it hits your nervous system instantaneously. Touch, is it something that you touch? Now, again, it could be pleasant. So maybe you hug your mom and that touch hits your nervous system and there's a pleasant oxytocin dopamine chemical response and so choose which of these is your your entry point your sensory input thoughts is it a thought that gets stuck in there right the whole the all overthinking taste smell hearing and remember how biblical all this is, the hearing, right? It says, how, how are they going to know unless, how, how is faith increased by the hearing of the word? So you can see how this is just very, very true. So now let's say for you is touch. Touch is a thing that when you are around certain a certain place, maybe, I don't know what I can say, maybe when you wear something, Maybe it uh, that triggers you in a negative way. Perhaps for most of us, my guess is that it's vision, thoughts, perhaps hearing, right? Maybe you hear someone call you a name, or maybe you see a, 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 
a body that you sh- you're supposed to have, you know, and so now you're feeling all this shame, body shame. He talks about body shame. Maybe it's a thought, okay? F- for most of us, it's probably a thought. All these senses, they eventually, the reason why he has that that arrow there being dark is because all of these five senses, and you know, some people believe that there are more than five senses. I think there are more than five senses. Sometimes the devil, right? Where does the devil play into this? All of them, right? You could say that that's the sixth sense. Intuition, empathy, where are some of these less scientific things, where do they fall in? Well, they're in here as well. My point is that they all get diluted or mixed into thoughts. Suddenly you have a negative thought. And again, I'm kind of going with the negative only because we try to avoid pain. But thoughts can be positive too, right? I was just reading a text from my beautiful daughter. And when we're talking about, we're learning a verse that we're studying together. and, And she sent me little red hearts. And I just saw those hearts on the phone. So vision... And it gave me this thought of how much I love her. It hit my nervous system. I could feel my body relaxing. I I felt watery, you know, however that works. All the little water ducts, tear ducts began to puffing up, puff up. And I could feel water, tears in my eyes. And I felt my heart racing. I felt a pleasant thought hit my nervous system. My daughter, I thought of her when she was one and three. I saw her just a little bit ago and how beautiful she looked. She was going out. And then what happened? I went back and forth. I thought, oh no, is she okay? Is she she home? Does she wear a mask? Is she, are her friends? So sometimes, right, we go back and forth. That pleasant, unpleasant. Oxytocin got released, thinking of my beautiful daughter. Dopamine, but then like the cortisone. And then, so then we have to calm ourselves. So think about how does your thoughts, or how do you normally receive information? Is it something you see, something you touch, something you taste? And, and so what he talks about is, is short-circuiting that, is being aware almost charting what i have thought about doing or i would recommend is that you chart your day like at 6 a.m 7 a.m let's say here 6 p.m 7 p.m even right now when you're hearing this obviously you're maybe seeing me or seeing this chart you're hearing this how is this hitting your nervous system what thoughts are you having pleasant or unpleasant maybe you're confused like i don't get this that's not true or maybe you're saying wow that's so true Maybe you're having a pleasant thought, like, and so oxytocin. So what does oxytocin do? This is the, uh, not to be too personal here, but they call this the sex <laughs> chemical. You know, when, when we love someone, it releases oxytocin. We, we are, it's like they call it the bonding chemical. It binds us with others. And so what happens when we are in a pleasant thought, pleasant state of mind, oxytocin, dopamine is released. Drugs do this, of course. They 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 bypass the natural response, and so obviously medicines and the whole pharma industry. That's this is what they're trying to address, right? To cut off adrenaline, to to 
curtail cortisone to minimize endorphins or to increase dopamine increase you know that's what all of the uh, what do they call them DAPRs all of the uh, anti-anxiety medication all that all those things that's what that's what they're trying to do is to increase oxytocin and increase dopamine and restore some of the wires in your brain some of these things that are maybe somehow medically or chemically or, or naturally they're somehow maybe uh, not as active in, in in your brain in our brains so what this does is that pleasant thought what does it want oxytocin makes you want more <clears throat> same in, in the same way that unpleasant thought adrenaline unfortunately it wants more and so it keeps thinking of that same negative thought and we're stuck in that kind of like that's that spin cycle right that negative spin cycle we, we keep we keep repeating the same negative thought and guess what why does it feel like it grows because the adrenaline is now kicking in adrenaline is a chemical it's like adding fuel to the fire you know maybe you've you've had a uh, <laughs> like one of those moments where you're making burgers on a barbecue and the the grease falls and what happens right well that's the same thing adrenaline is adding to your thought and so that's why that thought it feels like it's getting worse because it, it is the cortisone is feeding your body now and it's looking for more of the same it's an interesting thing why does that do it's almost like i mean you know for those of us that are people of faith it's almost like the devil's in that right like he's somehow like feeding but i mean it is our bodies it is chemical it is both spiritual and and, and, and in the senses and so what you have to do is be aware and say okay taste is a thing for me touch is a thing for me and so if i'm gonna if you're in your unpleasant thought and it's growing it's growing it's growing you got to like snap out of it and this is now how he talks about masks he talks about awareness relationships he talks about there are at least i think nine or ten tools he has a whole program that he talks about in this book so i want to read to you a little bit of what he talks about okay just in terms of kind of how to understand what you're going through let's talk about anger okay so again not only are these chronic pains just like the, the typical stuff which is the first thing he deals with here is chronic pain classical chronic pain but as i said he connects it to anger resentment anxiety depression pain where normally the medical field sees it as a result of the injury, he sees it as kind of uh, par for the course. He sees them as connected. So he tells a story at the beginning before I read it, where he says to the patient, a 50-year-old, I think male, who has chronic pain in his legs, he says, before we do surgery, let's talk about your past. Let's talk about what brought this about. And then the patient is like, no, 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 just cut me open. I want to I don't want this pain and so he uses that example as kind of that battle that sometimes we have with wanting to to restore our our neuroscience or our rewiring but i think especially speaking of you know what's happening right now wow right i mean what's happening right now is so neurological right i mean you can even use god as a way to in some ways <clears throat> maybe not deal with what you're going through and obviously or <laughs> you can use faith and you can have your spiritual practices actually work for you 
which is important. But anyway, so let me read a little bit here of what he talks about in terms of anger. He says, the genealogy of anger. There is a sequence of events that causes anger. Number one, circumstances, real or imagined. Two, blame. Three, victimhood. Four, frustration and anger. In this sequence, you blame a person or circumstances for disrupting your sense of well-being. I mean, isn't this what we're all feeling? Now, about a third of the population from all the other studies I've done in terms of neurological responses to, to stress, such as this pandemic, right? Some people respond angrily. Those are what we call the gut triad people or the people that are in their bodies. Others respond through shame. They feel so inadequate. They feel like, man, I wish I was stronger. I wish I could could uh, have more faith. I wish I, I was more prepared for this. And so and other people, they go to fear. So he talks here about anger. He says, in this sequence, you blame a person or circumstances. So my point with that was that if you find yourself blaming the president, the government, who wears a mask, who, you know, all that stuff, realize that you're, because using this chart, because maybe let's say your thoughts are of fear, it hits your nervous system, which deals with your past, your child of, or, you know, a family of origin, with just your own neuroscience, trauma, or your history, turns into an unpleasant thought, then the adrenaline kicks in, and that adrenaline becomes anger. Which then again, as I said, it feeds itself and you become more and more angry with that person who you blame for your chronic pain. In this case, all this isolation, all this stuff. So he says here in this sequence, you blame a person or circumstances or circumstance for disrupting your sense of well-being, which places you in the role of a victim and you become angry. The blame, victim, anger sequence can start with either a perceived wrong or an actual wrong. When it's perceived, when it's a perceived wrong, it's easy to be misled by your thought process. Your mind creates a story about the event, but there's a good chance that the triggering event wasn't a real wrong. Examples include being cut off in traffic, being inadvertently left off a party list. Even if it was a random act, you feel victimized. Whatever thoughts or imagery exists in your mind will create your version of reality and you become upset. I love that when he says imagery because remember, none of us are acting logically when we're angry, when we're in shame or when we're in fear. It's all emotions and that's just called being human. Let's say, you know, with all the Black Lives Matter, all the protests, based on your nervous system, what you're perceiving, and therefore the images or what you hear hits your nervous system, meaning are you white? Are you black? Do you have a African-American son? Are you, you know, hits your, your, your history, your body, your culture, your color, your political, your, your parents, all this stuff. And then the imagery kicks in. Now you're seeing yourself maybe as man that one time that i was stopped by that cop i hate that cop i hate police and so now that unpleasant thought kicks in adrenaline cortisone now it's feeding that same thought and it's automatic it happens in neuro in nanoseconds you can't even stop it unless like the cool kids say you wake up right and you realize what what you're doing and you realize that what you consider so true, meaning, well, you know, those Democrats, those liberals are all out to <clears throat> kill the economy and they are Trump haters and 
you know, what you consider your truth, you have to realize, oh, shoot, I'm, I'm just acting like a, like a, <laughs> I mean, not to be too scientific, like a, like a monkey, you know, like a mammal, like an animal. Again, I'm not talking about value systems. I'm just talking about our humanity, the fact that we are flesh and bones and that yet Jesus, he says that he himself, that he killed sin and death. Now, why death? Why not just sin, right? Well, death deals with our bodies. So in other words, he conquered even what our neuroscience wants to do. But how to get there, we're talking about a 90-year process, right? A lifetime. <laughs> so give yourself time. So that imagery part is so powerful. And so identify it. Chart this process for yourself at 6 p.m. at 7 p.m. when when you're done with this show and you're on to the next thing and when you're just unconsciously going there okay it's just it's so unconscious i've often thought about it. it'd be best if someone could record your life for like an hour and play it back to you and after you get over you know how ugly you look all that stuff that we all do to actually watch your face, your movements, your body language, being that we can't obviously see our minds. But it, wouldn't it be interesting if someone could chart you at 6.30, at 6.45, at 7 p.m. in terms of these thoughts hitting your body and you reacting unconsciously in a pleasant, unpleasant way. Those chemicals are activated and then you're in the spin cycle. And now here's the thing. We all know what those spin cycles are. This is not new to you. You know exactly what we're talking about here. You don't need a doctor, a book, or anything. This is just revealing, revelatory to say, oh, shoot, crap, that's what I'm doing. But we all know exactly now, some that are really blind, some that are really unconscious, and there's a ton of people that are blind. They're like, I don't have a problem. I was talking to a friend the other day. Oh, I'm not a racist. And I, I was thinking back, and you know, we've known each other for many years, of all these things that she said that I'm like, wow, talk about unconscious living. And that's what happens to us. We are all now only as we become more aware through these kinds of charts, through these kind of talks, can you even begin to, uh, it's not a blaming yourself thing, but really to become aware of your vices, of these hidden hurts, habits, and hangups, as we call them, that are so natural. Uh, it's almost like it's like the air we breathe you know you know how like <clears throat> when you fly into la you see that beautiful smog layer <laughs> that we call here the what do we call here the the fog layer which is really just a bunch of you know toxins and right now because of all this stuff there's not a lot of smog in the air but when we're living here and you land and you go home you're just breathing this air right and you're like well i don't even notice that's how unconscious these reactions that you think are so good that's the worst part of it. We as humans, we trick ourselves to believe that what we do is good and what you're doing is wrong. <clears throat> so we're talking about layers of unconsciousness. But so what these tools and of course, prayer, the disciplines and a lot of meditation, a lot of uh, self-awareness, having a spiritual guide, someone who can walk alongside of you, because this is not like, oh, OK, I got it. <laughs> this is not like learning something. This is a practice, a lifetime of practice with a guide someone who can walk with you you begin to wake up to wow i always get angry about the same darn thing don't i when that person does this or when i hear that person walks in and and, and puts their keys in the tray and that noise just uh, grates on me 
And then now you're in the nervous system, unpleasant, adrenaline, cortisone, and boom. So what do you do? Well, you have to short circuit that, becoming aware. And then some of the tools that he talks about here. So let's continue here. He says, um, let's see, in the second scenario, you have genuinely been wronged. You might have been robbed or assaulted. Your surgery went horribly wrong, and then you found out that it probably should have never been performed. A driver ran a red light and totaled your car. Here you are a victim in the truest sense. Whether the victim role is perceived or actual. Wow, look at that. Look at how intelligent this, this kind of thinking is. Right? He, he is unmasking. He is, un, he is disarming all of our ways that we cope with pain. Remember, we're just, what does the Bible say? We're just dust. This is what we do. We just blame either perceived or real, so that we can cope. When you were that young girl and you began to act out in a certain way, you were just trying to cope with that pain, that perceived or actual pain that you were experiencing. And so, but now that's no excuse for then you going and hurting someone else or you going from job to job to job blaming your boss or you going from relationship to relationship hurting everyone around you. This is why we have to, especially in these times, take the time to wake up i mean we may never have another opportunity in our lifetime most of us are in 30s 40s and 50s to have quote nothing else to do i know that's not real but you know what i mean right so we might as well do this now so let's continue reading uh, so whether the victim role is perceived or actual the anger response will be the same the imagery in your mind from the perceived wrong will elicit a, as strong a response as being treated badly. So both scenarios are equally destructive to your health and sense of well-being. The difference is that when you actually are a victim, it's much harder to let go of that role. This puts you at a disadvantage because you cannot experience the full benefit of forgiveness until you forgive the person who has wronged you the most. I mean, this is like every sermon that we hear, but I love how clinically it's being put here because it takes it out of the, I'm going to just pray, or I'm going to just hope that this goes away, or I'm going to just worship my way to forgiveness, which by the way works. But if that isn't you, or I should say, maybe put it differently, if that's the beginning for you and you need another kick in the butt or tools or resources, then this is what he's talking about is is putting it logically. If you're a logical person, this is this makes sense to you. This is about you realizing, as every preacher and every psychiatrist, every counselor you've ever had tells you that forgiveness is more about you than the other person. And that's what he's saying here from a scientific perspective. The difference is that when you actually are a victim, it's much harder to let go of that role. This puts you at a disadvantage. Blah, blah, blah. He says, you cannot experience a full benefit of forgiveness until you forgive the person who has wronged you the most. Playing the victim is a universal part of the human experience since none of us has complete freedom of action. We are limited by basic survival needs, money, time, physical attributes and conditions, appearance, intelligence, abilities, opportunity. How you relate to your limitations, including chronic pain, determines whether or not you place yourself in the victim role. There are some people who resist playing the victim even under extreme circumstances. Consider the life of Nelson Mandela. 
unjustly in prison for 25 years. He forgave his captors. See, there's that forgiveness. This is why this is both spiritual and science. This is not just neuroscience, and this is not just spiritual. It's the union of both, that which society and really who knows who has divided us speaking of division you know the division that i'm mostly concerned about is not race or economics or politics that's boring i mean even for me a person of color that's boring you know the the science or the division that i'm mostly concerned about is is the division between spirit spirit and the mind and that divide has to go away because we need both spiritual tools and scientific neuroscience tools that can help us because we're stuck we're stuck who wants to be unstuck <laughs> go so you and me consider the life Nelson mandela and just in prison for 25 years he forgave his captors and went on to become a gracious statesman he even put some of his former captors to work in his security force wouldn't you want to know how he did that did he just pray for 25 years probably but i guess i'm sure there was more to it an almost incomprehensible story is that of Viktor Frankl, another, oh, I mean, I have his book, another amazing book, A Man's Search for Meaning. <laughs> Oof, I could hardly finish that book. It's a little tiny book. It's all about the Nazi concentration camps. My goodness. Maybe you haven't read it. Here's a little bit of it. He says, uh, almost, an almost incomprehensible story is that of Viktor Frankl, a Jewish-Austrian psychiatrist and author of Man's Search for Meaning. He's the one who came up with that phrase that every man is living a life of quiet desperation. Every man is nodding their heads right now, including this man. Yep. But there's hope. Frankel, who survived three years in World War II concentration camps, was at one point slated to undergo human medical experimentation. Instead of going to the victim role, that, by the way, meant death. Okay, just in case you're wondering. Instead of going to the victim role, he asked himself the question, what is life asking of me right now? Imagine us right now in the middle of all this race battles and police brutality and all this virus opportunity, as I like to call it, this transition, as I like to call it, this vision year, as I like to call it. Imagine if instead of the question of when and why and what the heck's going on, I can't, I'm so angry or I'm so afraid or oh, I'm so, I feel so bad. That's Daisy, my dog. She's agreeing with me. Instead of that, imagine, begin to practice this question, what is life asking of me right now? What is life asking of me right now? What is life? What is, don't say God, okay? Because then we're immediately going to be like, well, pray, help, help the poor. Don't circumvent this process. Ask the word life. What is life? Because that includes pain, traffic, economic problems all this stuff race wars the chronic pain of your, of your son or the anxiety of your daughter or maybe your anger yourself what is life asking of you right now what a powerful question what is life asking of me right now wow Whew. i once had a patient this is really good who suffered a terrible complication after a major spine operation one that resulted in permanent blindness. Somehow, the blood supply to the optic nerve optic nerve had been had been compromised during the process procedure. Excuse me. Everyone was shocked, as the surgery had initially seemed to go so well. About three months later, he walked into my office and said to me, "This is the hand I've been dealt. I'm going to play it." 
I saw him again eight years later to remove his spinal implants. He was still completely blind, had gone through a bitter divorce, and had experienced several significant financial setbacks. However, he still had the same proactive mindset. And most of all, if we can be honest, he didn't kill himself, right? Let's be honest here. Suicide is everywhere. Now, we all have these stories, right? It's like, oh, well, I'm not that person. I'm not that guy, you know, with quadriplegic who's like giving inspirational speeches to high schoolers, right? 50 times a year. I mean, I'm one of them. I'm like, well, I, first, I haven't dealt with that. And then second, even if I had, I shouldn't, you know, but how do these people get there? Well, some of them just do it. I mean, some of them have mentors. Some of them read. Some of them pray. What do you have to do? That question that he asks there, what is life asking of me right now? What is life asking of you right now? Yeah, that's a great question to ask. When it comes to a son, Jill, as you were saying, with chronic pain, what is life asking of him right now? I mean, these are not easy questions. Someone that's sick or with maybe dealing with severe anxiety or, or just, quote, walking anxiety <laughs> or walking anger or walking shame. What is life asking of me right now? Uh, that puts it in a proactive, right? Like he says, perspective. And I think this graph here helps to kind of understand. So maybe take a screenshot of this so you can study this and, and meditate on that. And um, I love to help people. This is not a commercial, by the way. This is just where I am. 20 years of studying neuroscience, studying mindfulness and, and, and how the mind responds to positive or to negative input. I am, I'm helping a lot of people with this kind of stuff. So I'd love to help anyone who would like just someone to walk. And, and what do I use? All these tools, of course, that I've read for 20 years. Obviously, prayer, scripture, spiritual disciplines. But in this fused way between science, of science, and, and spirit, if that is what you resonate with, I think this is a very important thing. Just get this book. Powerful. You're going to have to obviously like reading because it's a, it's a pretty good book. By the way, another one, just while I'm here, like a book club here. I'm reading this one by Paul Tillich. It's called Systematic Theology. Whew, I'm a big Tillich fan. Not everyone is. If you don't know who he is, he's a theologian. He's passed. I think he was German, I believe. Tillich? Is that a German name? I think so. Well, thank you so much for being here. Share this broadcast. Make sure that you let everyone, everybody know that I'm here twice a day helping you in these very important topics that are very important to us right now, right? I mean, this is what we need to be talking about. Heck, what else are we going to talk about? What, your vacation plans for the summer? <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> You're going to go to your favorite restaurant finally with a mask while feeling all depressed and angry and feeling shame that you don't have money or that you didn't save or anyway. This is the stuff that matters, my dear friends. This is Ghost Soap TV. This is what we do here. We provide knowledgeable and spiritual tools to help you live a life of gozo. Share this broadcast. Thank you for being here. Jill and the rest, very informative. Absolutely. Take action. Put the stuff into use. Check out the show later tonight. I'll probably be back here tonight around 9 or 10 for the 
those that wake up at 9 p.m. <laughs> go to bed at 4 a.m. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The David Trigg Show. Find the complete archive at davidtrigg.com or subscribe for free through the podcast app on iTunes or Stitcher. On- Each week, we bring you a message of joy, success, and personal power in spite of fear, anxiety, and depression. Because as we like to say, though there's pain in the night, gozo comes in the morning. morning.